0: Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you, who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Welcome back to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. I'm Audrey Rindlisbacher, the author of The Mission Driven Life and founder of The Mission Driven Mom. So glad you've decided to join me today. If you are liking these podcasts, will you please uh, subscribe so you don't miss any and review so others can know what you're enjoying about them and share them out with your family and friends. We'd also love to see you in the Mission Driven Mom Mastermind Facebook group if you want to head over there and join us. Today I get to share with you something that is kind of a culminating little reading that just speaks to everything that I'm about. I found this reading just recently and it was such a powerful experience for me because Charlotte Mason said in just two and a half pages what has been the culmination of the last 25 years of my life's work and what is my central purpose. It was absolutely amazing to see it align so perfectly with hers. I'd read little excerpts and different things from Charlotte Mason in the past, knew a little bit about her methodology. But in going back through her homeschooling series, I found this little gem that I'm going to share with you, and it is just absolutely phenomenal how it perfectly dovetails with what I'm all about and what we're doing at the Mission Driven Mom. So to give you a little background, and some of these things I think I've mentioned briefly in past podcasts, but Many, many years ago, I kind of, I think everybody probably has seven habits on their bookshelf somewhere or has owned it. And of course I owned it. And at one point early on in our marriage, picked it up and got turned on to this idea of a mission statement and all this kind of thing. So after we'd been married a few years, I kind of wrangled my husband into going on a retreat with me. I kept telling him how important it was that we have a family mission statement And so leading up to this retreat, I spent a bunch of time writing down all the things that I wanted um, my family to be like, the kind of outcomes that I wanted when my children left home, the kind of education I wanted them to have, the kind of people I wanted them to be, the culture I wanted in my home. And I got all this on paper and we went on this retreat and the whole first day We just discussed everything that I'd kind of written down and my husband gave his input and asked questions and kind of added to the list and that kind of thing. And then we did more thinking and talking and praying again on the second day. And sometime during that day, I think in the mid afternoon, as the discussion uh, headed a direction, I can't even remember how we got there, but we both remember this moment when he looked at me and he said, it's like that scripture in the Bible, about truth. And I, I thought, Oh, I wonder if it's this one, if this is what he's talking about. Anyway, we, we got in there and found indeed it was in John eight that Jesus says, um, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free as you continue in his word. And it just, this light bulb went off. We just both looked at each other and we knew that was our family mission statement, that we were going to be truth seekers and the truth was going to set us free. And we didn't really know exactly what that looked like. We felt like we had some truth in our lives, but we were just kind of starting out on this journey. We'd read a few classics and um, not long thereafter, as God always does, if we want to find truth, he'll help us find it. And so I found this little liberal arts college and they read the great, classics, and I was immediately in love and became a student, and my husband took classes as well, and a lot of amazing things happened there. There was a lot of discussion around the kind of importance of principles that would that would come up, but then I'll never forget the day that we did a reading. I think it was John Locke, and I again, I may have mentioned this in a past podcast, but this concept of natural law that I'd never heard of in my life. Just all these lights went off and all these connections were made. And I remember actually vocalizing in that class, this is the bridge. Natural law is the bridge that will help connect everyone, the believers and the non-believers. It will help us to better be on a path of truth and it lights a way for having the truth set us free. So that was another big kind of... Um, turning point for me in this journey. So now I'm committed to truth. I'm trying to discover natural law. Eventually I get introduced to first principles and principles and I dig deeper and I dig deeper and I start teaching it more and more and I teach it in the classroom. And then I create a seminar and I teach it in these seminars in different different places in the country. And, and the, the deeper I get The better I understand it, the more on fire I am about it. And then, you know, in the meantime, I'm looking around. I'm trying to give my children a great education. The more I understand about education, the more I realize that we are so off track as a country. And I'm introduced to things like the Communist Manifesto and... The Humanist Manifesto, and so many professors across the country signed that Humanist Manifesto in the 30s and went off to college campuses to teach humanism. And so I'm just learning all these ideas and I'm really beginning to see a pattern. So I'm I'm over time I realize I've got to I've got to be in the best books and I've got to harmonize those with scripture and that's gonna be the tool set for being able to find this truth. And as I live it, then, you know, I'll, I'll be blessed. And, and so, you know, if you want to know more about this, you can go back to those, um, that series on the Principles Introduction to Principles podcast series. And you'll hear a lot more about these ideas. You can also go listen to, Mothers are more powerful than professors for some of these ideas as well. And you'll see that this has kind of been culminating in my life. And one of the things that would come up often in class when I was working on my bachelor's degree in this liberal arts college is we would often say things, for example, one of my favorite um, composers is Aaron Copeland, and he was a homosexual. And in fact, he was guilty of some really bad choices and bad behavior. And so we're all thinking, well, why did he write such beautiful music? Why was he like inspired with these truths? Or we learn about other people that, you know, didn't have the moral character, you know, we thought, and yet they did, you know, great things, or they benefited humanity in some way, or they found some truth. And how was it that these men and women could discover truths that, you know, religious people didn't discover and have such impact. And why was it that religious people didn't seem to have some of the fruits of some of the truths that we were learning, some of the principles, whether it be principles of relationships or health or orderliness or time management or thought or any of those kinds of things? Because we're just, you know, we're, we're combing. We're just always on the hunt for these principles and how can we be on an upward trajectory and how can we continue to improve ourselves and to be more in line. And so you can see that this is this theme, you know, ever since I was married, even, even before that, just, but especially since we discovered, I guess we knew that verse of scripture, but really discovered for ourselves what it could mean, the implications of what it could mean. So a few years ago, I can't remember when it came out, but God's Not Dead came out. We went to see it at the theater. I might have even mentioned this on a, mentioned this on a previous podcast too, but it, it was an okay movie. But at the end of the film, I counted, I went back and counted 38 court cases that they cite there as just a sampling of the, you know, hundreds, perhaps probably thousands of court cases that go on every year between college students that are religious and the universities that are trying to really revoke their religious rights and their religious freedoms. And it struck home in such a powerful way in terms of this really, um, really complicated situation that we find ourselves in today where society doesn't uphold the basic moral framework that that religious circles still adhere to and it seeped into our educational systems and they've become secularized and now basic religious freedoms are being robbed and kids aren't sure how to stand up for themselves and they're losing their faith and all of that just it just all came (laughs) to a head at the end of that movie and I just wept for hours I was virtually inconsolable. I just could not, I could not get control of myself because it just hit at the very core of what I'm about and the problems that I see so clearly and that I want to combat. And so all of that is kind of the, kind of the background for coming into this Charlotte Mason reading, it's a little bit older. She wrote it in the 1800s, turn of the century, probably really early 1900s. I can't remember the exact year. I don't have it here. She wrote a homeschooling series. This is from volume one. There's several of them. They're really fantastic. Um, there's a lot of principle mixed up with a lot of application and a lot of her opinions so you want to have that article of mine from opinions to principles and start learning to ask better questions and looking carefully at when something is a principle or not but boy she uses the word principle a lot and she really wants um the education to be principle centered but when i found this selection it was clear to me that it was deeper for that than her And because our core messages and core mission so closely aligned, it really hit home with me. I've read it over and over and over again. I've shared it with a lot of people. It's in level two of the academy with some other incredible readings in the area of focus on principles of education and motherhood. And so I just want all of you to have access to this incredible reading because it, I think you'll see as I get into it that it really validates and upholds and strengthens what it is that you're, I'm sure, trying to do as a mother, the problems that you see and the real solutions that lie in natural law and principles. So it's in Part 1, Chapter 7, The Reign of Law in Education. This is Section 7 the reign of law in education, common sense, and good intentions. So she's previously gone over what she's calling the physical culture of the brain and how it's the groundwork of education. And she goes on to say that the method indicates what should be the method of all education. That is, I'm quoting her now, orderly regulated progress under the guidance of law. The reason why education efforts so much less uh, effect, so much less than it should affect is just this that in nine cases out of 10, sensible good parents trust too much to their common sense and their good intentions, forgetting that common sense must be at the pains to instruct itself in the nature of the case, and that well-intended efforts come to little if they are not carried on in obedience to divine laws to be read in many cases, not in the Bible, but in the facts of life. So what did she just say there? She said... What so many people said to me when I told them I was going to homeschool, and I just want to say as a caveat, homeschool does come up in MDM circles quite a bit, partially because I homeschooled and many of my board members did. You do not have to be a homeschooler to be here. And homeschooling isn't the right answer for everyone all the time. And I want to also qualify homeschooling by saying it is when mom and dad understand educational principles well enough that they can make educated decisions for their children. My children have gone to private schools, charter schools, public schools. Commonwealths, co-ops and been home with me. I've run the whole gamut of educational options and I'm always on the hunt and search for a good one. So I'm not saying your kids are home with you all the time. I'm saying you own education. And when I told people that I was going to homeschool, you know, so many people said to me, well, I didn't homeschool and I turned out okay because they don't have a frame of reference. They don't have, unfortunately, because of their lack of quality education, the kind of historical context that they should have for what has gone on and the poor level of quality that we're currently at. All they know is what they had. And they assume that what their children is getting is what they got. And so because they use their common sense and they, you know, okay, well, you know, decent things are going on there. The teachers seem nice and they have good intentions. What she's saying is they don't think any further than that. They don't, he says she says, their well-intended efforts come to little if they are not carried out in obedience to divine laws that must be found in many cases, not in the Bible, but in the facts of life. So she's going to go on to talk in more detail about this idea. Now, this is where it really hits home, because what she's going to talk about is how a lack of understanding of educational principles and a lack of commitment to Pursuing and understanding natural law and principles comes uh, as it, come, creates problems in people's homes, and they don't receive the blessings God intends for them. But they think that they're doing everything right because they're pious and religious. Okay, so this is what she's attacking. This next section is called "Law Abiding Lives," often more blameless than pious lives. It is a shame to believing people that those whose highest profession is that they do not know and therefore do not believe. So what she's talking about their highest profession, meaning it's a shame to people who believe in God, that those people who say that they don't know if there's a God or that they don't believe in God. Here she is again, that they should produce more blameless lives, freer from flaws of temper from the vice of selfishness than do many sincerely religious people. So she just said that there are many people who say they don't believe in God. And in terms of the actual natural laws and principles that govern this earth, their lives are less blameless than people that say they believe in God. And she's going to go on to explain this. She says, it is a fact that will confront the children by and by. So if you don't accept this, if you don't see the truth of what she's saying, your children are going to notice that they know people who seem to be happier and lead more productive, satisfying lives who aren't religious at all than the religious people that they know. And what are you going to do? How are you going to teach them? What is the discrepancy here? So she goes on. So I'll reread that. It is a fact that will confront the children by and by, and one of which they will require an explanation. And what is more, it is a fact that they will have more weight, should it confront them in the person of a character which they cannot but esteem and love, than all the doctrinal teaching they have had in their lives. If they know somebody who's a family member or a close friend, who says they don't believe in God and they seem happier and more fulfilled uh, than then the people that they know that are religious, it's going to create a huge moral and spiritual obstacle for your children. And I've seen this so many times. And you know what people do? They say, well, you don't know. They aren't really happy. What really goes on at their house isn't really happy. Okay. But that's not necessarily true. And she's right. It's not necessarily true. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes they hide their pain and their questions. Sometimes it's just not true. So she says, this is Mason again. This appears to me, that, to me, the threatening danger to that confessed dependence upon and allegiance to almighty God, which we recognize as religion, not the wickedness, but the goodness of a school, which refuses to admit any such dependence and allegiance. So what's a huge obstacle? In the moral and spiritual development of children, watching people and being involved in school systems, where it's clear that people are good, they have some sense of happiness and fulfillment, they have they produce good ends, and they don't believe in God. And it's a real stumbling block for them. And she's saying this over a hundred years ago. And then this this sentence which hits home to me so much. It just is on my heart. She says this, my sense of this danger is my reason for offering the little I have to say upon the subject of education. My sense of the danger and the assurance that I feel that it is no such great danger after all, but one the parents of the cultivated class are competent to deal with and are precisely the only persons who can deal with it she sees that all our educational endeavors will not produce men and women of strong moral character and piety and devotion to God. If they continue to see a conflict between what's happening to the people they know who are quote religious and those who are quote not religious. And we have to clarify the difference for them. And we have to think more deeply and look more closely at why that is happening And what that real obstacle is for our children because yes, faith in God comes through emotional, spiritual experiences. And yes, you have to have a personal witness and be humble enough to seek that personal witness, but there's more happening. And she's gonna go on to explain the big problems that she sees why this is happening. And that mothers are more powerful than professors. This is really where she's hitting it. This doesn't have to be an obstacle for us. Parents can deal with this problem, and I'm going to show them how. Next section, mind and matter equally governed by law. As for the superior morality of some non-believers, supposing we grant it, what does it amount to? So let's take the reverse side. Let's say the kids are right, and that there are people who don't believe in God, and they're actually morally superior to the people who do believe in God. What does it amount to? What's happening? Why is it the case? She goes on. Just to this, that the universe of mind and the universe as this universe of matter is governed by unwritten laws of God. That the child cannot blow soap bubbles or think his flitting thoughts otherwise than in obedience to divine laws. That all safety, progress, and success in this life come out of obedience to law, to the laws of mental moral, or physical science, or of that spiritual science which the Bible unfolds, that it is, okay, so I'm going to pause right there for just a minute and recap that. Remember again, I have read about principles and natural law from dozens of other authors by this point. I just found this a few months ago. My whole life had already been devoted to this. I was totally on fire about this message. And of all those authors, she says it better and more succinctly than anybody I've ever read, even C.S. Lewis and others. It is phenomenal to me that she just hits right on this and she's speaking right to parents about what the real problem is. Point number one, parents, everything is governed by unwritten laws of God that it is uncommon upon us to discover And that we receive blessings in accordance with those things, just like Covey and so many others said. So all progress, she says, all safety, progress, and success in life come out of obedience to law. That's part one. Here's the second part. That it is possible to ascertain laws and keep laws without recognizing the lawgiver. And that those who do ascertain and keep any divine law inherit the blessing due to obedience, whatever be their attitude towards the lawgiver. Just as the man who goes out into blazing sunshine is warmed, though he may shut his eyes and decline to see the sun. So, number one, all blessings are are. Um, dependent upon obedience to a law and to you can get the blessing without acknowledging whose law it is even if you don't say this is God's law that I'm now going to obey if you obey it there is a blessing attached and you will get that blessing so when Aaron Copeland lived every musical principle that there was he got the blessing of creating incredible music. He was hardworking, he was gifted, he developed his gifts, he traveled the world, he learned from others, he paid a huge price to be inspired to write the music that he wrote. And he was given blessings in accordance with the laws that he obeyed. She goes on, conversely, that they who take no pains to study the principles which govern human action and human thought Miss the blessings of obedience to certain laws, though they may inherit the better blessings which come with the acknowledged relationship with the lawgiver. So there are certain spiritual principles, certain spiritual laws, she goes on to say. That they are so unspeakably satisfying, she says, that the believer enjoys them. He opens his mouth and draws in his breath for the delight that he has in the law, and it is true. But it is the law of the spiritual life only. So spiritual individuals, religious, pious individuals are living certain spiritual laws of relationship with God and seeking revelation and humbling themselves and doing certain religious rites for which they receive blessings and spiritual experiences, which they enjoy and they know to be true. And they receive the blessings for obedience. And that this third point she's making is that we have to study The principles, she said, which govern human action and human thought, or we will miss the blessings of obedience to certain laws. She goes on, this pious, she's talking about this pious individual who lives spiritual laws and receives those blessings, yet toward the other laws of God, which govern the universe, he sometimes takes up an attitude of antagonism, almost of resistance worthy of an infidel. It is nothing to him that he is fearfully and wonderfully made. He does not care to know how the brain works, nor how the more subtle essence we call mind evolves and develops in obedience to laws. There are pious minds to which a desire to look into these things savors of unbelief as if it were to dishonor the Almighty to perceive that he carries on his glorious works by means of glorious laws. They will have They will have to do with no laws excepting the laws of the kingdom of grace. In the meantime, so... To pause there, here's this really super religious guy who won't bother to seek out other true principles and put his life in line with them. And he cannot have those blessings. In the meantime, she says, the non-believer who looks for no supernatural aid lays himself out to discover and conform to all the laws which regulate natural life, physical, mental, and moral. All the laws of God, in fact, excepting those of the spiritual life, which the believer appropriates as his particular inheritance. That the children of the believers, so she she goes on to say the children of the believers say, look, how is it that these who do not acknowledge the law of God are better than we who do? How is it that they experience more success? Why are their relationships better? Why is their health better? Why do they get on in their career better? Why do they seem happier and more fulfilled and more full of gratitude than me, who's at church every week and doing all the things, all the spiritual things? Well, because they're more obedient to God in that they seek out his laws in every realm and strive to obey them. They miss out on all the spiritual blessings. They miss out on the higher laws and the personal revelation and the closeness to God and the, and, and the, you know, all of those wonderful things. But they also are truth seekers in a real genuine sense that they're not necessarily worried about where the laws are coming from, but they recognize that there are laws they must conform to and they do it. When they are told they need to get to bed early and get up early, when they're told they need to exercise daily, when they're told they need to be more grateful, when they're told they need to put their family first, they scramble to get into obedience with those laws so that they can have the blessings. And as believers, we have the ability to do that too. That path is open to us as well, but it's up to us to do it. So... Now the rubber really hits the road, meets the road here uh, in this last little section. The the, The section heading is parents must acquaint themselves with the principles of physiology and moral science. Now this is where you and I moms have to get serious about finding true principles and living them. Now she says, believing parents... So those who believe in God and have a relationship with him have no right, she says, to lay up this crucial difficulty for their children. You and I have no right to create a spiritual conflict in the minds of our children by teaching them only spiritual principles and not letting them understand that people will get on and have success in life to the level at which they're obedient to all of God's natural laws and principles she goes on they have no right for instance to pray that their children may be made truthful diligent upright and at the same time neglect to acquaint themselves with those principles of moral science that observance of which will guide into truthfulness, diligence, and uprightness of character, for this also is the law of God. If we want them to have those character traits, then we'd better understand how they're developed. And we better understand the principles that govern the development of them. And teach those principles to our children. She goes on, observe, not into the knowledge not into the knowledge of God, the best thing worth living for, no mental science, no moral science is pledged to reveal that. What I contend for is this that these sciences have their part to play in the education of the human race and that the parent may not disregard them with impunity. My endeavor in this and the following volumes of the series will be to sketch out roughly a method of education which resting upon a basis of natural law may look without presumption to inherit the divine blessing. So I hope you can appreciate why I'm so in love with this selection and what an incredible impact it had on me and what a an huge impact I hope it will have on you to be one of the many, many, many voices out there crying for us to be more principle centered for us to seek out God's natural laws and to put our lives and our homes in compliance with them so that we can earn the blessing that's attached to them and reap the rewards that that obedience to them uh, creates. Charlotte Mason is is just spot on. So spot on. She is the best source I've ever found to delineate this so clearly and succinctly that we create a real moral stumbling block for our children. When we pretend like just because we go to church and we say our prayers, we're better than everybody else, that we're more righteous and more obedient than everybody else and more in compliance with God, God's law. It's not true. It's our job to be in compliance with as many of his laws as we possibly can, which can be found very often in the spiritual realm and, and and through prayer. He will guide us, but he will guide us to books and people and resources that can teach us that truth as we seek it out. So please, mothers, be truth seekers. Find the principles that govern your life in whatever realm your family and or you personally are struggling and get in compliance with those and reap the rewards and have the blessings and teach these concepts to your children. Teach them that God works with his children through natural laws and principles and it's our job to to create principle-centered homes and I hope you will continue on that journey with me here at the Mission Driven Mom to build a truly principle-centered and mission-driven home. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you don't have your copy of uh, my free ebook, The Mission Driven Life, please grab it at themissiondrivenmom.com and we will see you next time.